The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, you know I always promise in the right, you're in the right place because you always are. Here we are, Coffee Break with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, I think we're up to episode number 254, but what can I say? The buzz on the street today, well, you usually hear talk is cheap. Well, today we're going to counteract that and say talk is not cheap. Let me get started. With dramatic workforce and business changes, come on, look at your own workforce. If you're a business owner, if you're a manager, if you're just somebody who joined a company, or you're inside the workforce. We now have multiple generations at work. Last count, I heard there were five different demographic cohorts working more or less side by side, depending on whether you're sitting at a real desk or a virtual one. We have issues with gender inequality. We have issues with different generations having different learning styles, different work habits, different preferences on how they want to be managed. We also have the big business issues of developing economies and globalization. So let's focus on the CHRO. The key letters in there are HR, in case you're new to the term CHRO. It is time for the role of the CHRO to evolve. What are we talking about? Well, let's break this down. For starters, the CHRO needs to build transformational value-based relationships, and that means HR needs to support the business and the business strategies. Let's take it a step further. The CHRO needs to engage what I was describing a moment ago, the permanent workers and the externals, the seasonals, the contractors, the consultants in new ways of collaborating. We want everybody to contribute to the business, not just you're here, you do this, and she's here, she'll do that, and then we'll figure it out later. We also need to acknowledge, the CHRO needs to acknowledge that workforce Everyday people are used to consumer-style tools at work. They expect it to be easy. They expect it to be friendly. Your tools, your online, your interfaces, they want it comfortable and familiar. And guess what? Social HR is also on the horizon here. It's here to better engage your workforce. There is so much more. Where should we begin? Well, I have a great idea. Why don't I introduce my three expert panelists who are going to help us figure this out today. And then in a moment, I'll start introducing them with their opening quotes. Delighted to welcome back Tim Good, who is a managing director in Accenture Strategy and leader of Accenture's talent and organization practice in EALA. Tim joined me in June, as it did our next guest, I'll tell you in a moment, on CHRO's time for this new conversation on our series called Changing the Game with HR Radio, which is sponsored by Dr. Patty Fletcher at SAP. And joining Tim today, as on part one, Dan Ward, who is author of The 
Simplicity Cycle, a field guide to making things better without making them worse. I love that title. And F-I-R-E, how fast, inexpensive, restrained, and elegant methods ignite innovation Wow, very interesting title. And our newcomer on the panel today is Jewel Parkinson, Head of Human Resources for SAP North America. And we're delighted to have Jewel join us today. I think that was an alliteration in there with a lot of J's. So let me circle back to Tim Good, who's waiting patiently. Tim has sent me a wonderful opening quote from Leonard Bernstein. Now, our younger listeners around the world may not recognize the name Bernstein. Leonard Bernstein lived from 1918 to 1990. He was an extraordinary American composer, a conductor, an author, a music lecturer, and a pianist. Among the first conductors born and educated in the U.S. who received acclaim around the world. And you may know him from his music for West Side Story, among many other very popular symphonies and plays and he wrote chamber music as well. Let me just leave it there. Look him up if you don't know him. B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N Leonard. Here's the quote Tim has selected. To achieve great things, two things are needed. A plan and not quite enough time. Well, that's a surprise. Tim Good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Bonnie. Good to be back on the show. We are delighted to have you, and I, I don't usually say this, Tim, but I adore this quote because I would never expect it from somebody as iconic as Leonard Bernstein. You need a plan and not quite enough time. It sounds very human, so why don't you break this down for us? Are you a big fan of Bernstein, of his music, his, his shows, of West Side Story, and how did you pick this quote for our topic today? I'm an enormous fan of Bernstein, so I think I mentioned this on our previous show I actually studied music many years ago at university, and Bernstein has been one of my heroes really from childhood onwards. And what I always love about Bernstein is he's really a musician. So you mentioned all the things he did. He was a conductor. He was a composer. He was an educator. Um, He could explain things, I think, in better ways than most people uh, could ever explain music and uh, was just a delightful human being. And uh, I guess what I I love about Bernstein is, um, and what I love about this quote, is that if you think about it today, um, we really do struggle even more with the time thing. So I think, you know, you look at the digital world, you look at the pressures that we all have. You know, I often find myself asking myself the question, do I even need a plan anymore? Because it seems that by the time I get to the end of the plan, it's almost time to start rebuilding the plan and uh, doing something again with the plan because some disruptions come in somewhere. So I just love the quote. And last thing I would say is, it kind of leads to this sort of inspiration as well. So, you know, the fact that when you're up against something, when you've got a constraint there, often it forces us as human beings to stretch ourselves and do something more remarkable or even more remarkable, I guess, in the case of Lenny than uh, he would have achieved otherwise. I like the way you threw in that Lenny familiar word name there. That that was very nicely done, Tim. Tim, it says to me, not quite enough time. It says to me there's there's a an American expression that is rather crude. I won't use it, but blank, 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 blank happens. And I'm thinking that, you know, there's another phrase, Tim, uh, man plans at God laughs, not to get into any religious connotations here. But I, I was so amazed and amused by the quote because it says to me, he was a realist. He lived in the real world. You can plan that symphony, plan that play, plan that concert, and then something happens, and you're just going to have to punt and figure it out. You think that was part of what he was trying to say is, I am human, and I know things come up, and we got to deal with them. You think that was it? 
I think that's absolutely it. I think that's exactly what he was saying. And I think if you listen to his music, I think you you get that sense of humanity. And I think if you look at uh, the topic that we're going to talk about and, uh, you know, what we've got to do and what chief HR officers have got to do in the future, um, it is all about being up against it. It is all about being up against deadlines, in some cases really seemingly impossible and unrealistic deadlines, and still making things happen and making that creativity fly in an organization. Wonderful. And I love the word creativity. I don't think we hear that very often. And I'm going to ask Jewel Parkinson that in a few minutes. I don't think we hear the word creativity and the term HR or CHRO in the same sentence very often. And I love the humanity angle. Tim Good, welcome back. So wonderful to speak with you. And thanks for the great quote. And now let's move to our second panelist. He is Dan Ward, author of The Simplicity Cycle. I love this, making things better without making them worse. Oh, Dan, if only in the real world. And Dan sent me a very interesting quote. And Dan knows that I searched high and low for it, and uh, I couldn't find it because it's in a comic book. And let me tell you a little more. The book is a, a comic. It's done illustrated. It's a biography of let's see, of Feynman, Richard Feynman, F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. If you don't know who he is, Google him, Richard, F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. He was a larger-than-life Nobel-winning quantum physicist, an adventurer, a musician, there's the music title, Leonard Bernstein, a world-class raconteur, I love that word, and one of the greatest minds of the 20th century. Feynman was brilliant, he was different, he broke all the rules, and I think the rules tried to break him, but he didn't let them. And I want to thank Dan for, for bringing me into awareness of Richard Feynman, because I read his lengthy bio on Wikipedia, and I was fascinated, and I want to get the book. This is somebody I should have known about. But this comic book is written by Jim Ottaviani, O-T-T-A-V-I-A-N-I, and illustrated by Leland Myrick, who does wonderful job illustrations. Here is the quote as part of this book. I get a lot of ideas at the beach. Well, it's August, Dan Ward, so why not? Dan Ward, welcome back. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's uh, so fun to be on the show again. Thank you. I like the word fun, too. We're having music. We're having creativity. We're having fun. And we're talking about CHROs and HR. Wow, that's an interesting combination. So tell me, are you a big fan or follower of Richard Feynman, who is no longer with us, or a fan of Otto Viani and Leland Myrick? Talk to me. Well, I've been an admirer of uh, Richard Feynman for years, ever since I came across his uh, book, uh, Surely You Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman. Uh, he's a fascinating, fascinating guy, and the quote I, I thought was uh, pretty appropriate for uh, for this time of year, for August, um, getting ideas at the beach. So is the quote part of the comic book? Because it's not a quote directly from Feynman. At least I checked every known quote <laughs> source. And you know, I, I spent over an hour looking for this one, and I couldn't find it. And Richard Feynman said some pretty interesting things. So is this a quote that was made up uh, in response to one of the illustrations by Myrick in the book? Um, you know, it, it seems like it, it was sort of created for the uh, for the graphic novel biography, um, but it also was very consistent with the, the types of things that he would he would often say. So whether it's exactly word for word out of his mouth or just sort of conveys the intent of what he was talking about, um, either way, I think there's a, there's a lot of truth in that quote. I will give that to you. I'll give you that poetic license, Mr. Ward. Now, Dan, tell me, how does this relate to our topic? We're talking about a new conversation for CHROs. We're talking about time to say, wait a minute, I might have been in this job 10, 15 years or 10, 15 minutes, but the workforce is changing. The needs of the company are changing. CHROs need to be part of the business bottom line, the business strategy, how the business proceeds, not just a reporter of who was hired and fired and how many hours they were 
work and what we paid them. So how does I get a lot of ideas at the beach? How would we apply that to our topic today, Dan? Um, yes, I think HR is involved in some very big issues and in, in problem solving and decision making. And um, when I think of a, of a physicist, I tend to think of them as being very serious and working in the lab all the time. But Feynman, like you mentioned, was one of the most prominent physicists of the last century, and he made a point of getting out into the world on a regular basis. So being in different environments like the beach uh, really helped unlock his creativity and his problem solving, and it helped sort of refresh his uh, his work. So I found that there's this cycle of creativity in a lot of different disciplines uh, in physics as well as HR, and it's important to introduce variety in our environments and variety in our activities uh, if we want to solve important problems in creative ways. And I think that phrase, solving important problems in creative ways, is a, a very common desire, uh, again, whether we're talking physics or HR. So things like going to the beach, if, if that worked for Feynman, it just might work for us too. Oh, I like that. I like that very much. Thank you. So we have Leonard Bernstein, the, the late, great Leonard Bernstein, saying you need a plan and not quite enough time. We have Richard Feynman, uh, put words put in his mouth, but very appropriately. I get a lot of ideas at the beach. Good start. And now let me introduce Jewel Parkinson, head of human resources, SAP North America. And Jewel has sent me a, sent us a very classic, iconic quote from the wonderful and recently departed Maya Angelou, who wrote seven autobiographies that focused on her childhood and early adult experiences. The first one, it was titled, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings in 1969, told of her life up to the age of 17. And that's the one that catapulted her to international recognition and and acclaim. I just want to read a little bit. Uh, Jewel, just give me a second here because the, the background on Maya Angelou is fascinating, talking about where we find ourselves in the workforce. Let me read a list of her jobs. She was a poet and a writer after a series of occupations as a young adult listen everybody this is what she did she was a fry cook she was a sex worker she was a nightclub dancer and performer she was a cast member of the opera porgy and bess she was a coordinator for the southern christian leadership conference she was a journalist in egypt and ghana during the decolonization of africa she was a writer director and producer of plays movies and public television and earned the first lifetime reynolds professorship of american studies at wake forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as well as working with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. That's a woman who really understood how to use your life and your time. So here's the quote Jewel Parkinson has selected from the vast lore of Maya Angelou. Quote, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Jewel, I cry every time I read this quote. <laughs> how are you, Jewel Parkinson? Welcome to I'm, Coffee Break. Oh, uh, Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us. Tell me, are you a big fan of Maya Angelou? And did you know she had that depth and breadth of jobs in her lifetime, Jewel? Um, I am a big fan, and I've followed her for many years, and she's just really been a magnificent role model. And the diversity and versatility, which I think was reflected in the many roles and ways she utilized her strengths and gifts, um, you know, she has just been a role model uh, for sure for me. And really, I think her story speaks to um, how you can overcome some of life's challenges and really make a imprint on society as a whole and have a huge impact and be very resilient. So that is uh, reflective of her, her life. 
So tell me something, Jewel. Let's go back a little bit to the quote from Leonard Bernstein and the quote from Richard Feynman. Do you agree that it's time for creativity? It's time for having not quite enough time? Going back to the Leonard Bernstein quote for how CHROs need to look at their role, their job, their function, their place in the broader business. Talk to me a little bit about how you see all of that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think things are changing so rapidly. And I think with the combination of whether it's technology or it's just new ways of doing things or industry lines blurring, um, things are moving quickly, and that is really requiring HR practitioners to think more about not having, you know, uh, great be the enemy of good and thinking about how do we keep pace and leveraging creativity, leveraging different ways of coming up with innovative ideas and concepts, and also um, using the workplace as a place to perfect, not necessarily perfect, but to advance ideas and then build on them. Um, so part of it is also just having a different mindset, a mindset rooted in agility and adaptability, uh, and also in terms of that business partnership, really understanding what's happening in the business uh, internally and externally in the market in order to be adding the uh, level of value that the CHROs are expected to. Very interesting. Jewel, do you think that most CHROs today, let's talk about big enterprise CHROs, and I don't know, uh, you need to tell me, please, does the term CHRO exist in small to mid-sized companies? Does it exist in startups, or is it just called the HR guy, the HR lady? Uh, and the, the question is, do you think they know <laughs> that it's time for them to shift gears? Why don't you give us a little background, since this is what you do, just quickly. What do you, what do you observe? Well, absolutely. In my experiences in, in speaking with other, whether you're called the head of HR for your company, the HR contact or person, whatever that title is, individuals who are responsible for human resources and small, medium, large, global organizations all feel the tremendous sense of what their value is and expectation is. I, I do get that clearly. Um, there is no second guessing uh, in terms of the value of, of human resources, of people, uh, in terms of advancing and growing businesses. Um, so a lot of expectation in terms of strategy, in terms of alignment with other corporate officers, in terms of not just being at the table but really driving and supporting the agenda, leveraging the power, the, the, the vast information um, that resides within HR in order to blueprint what that strategy and direction needs to be to drive, in many cases, business transformation. Uh, and that, that extends no matter what customer segment you fall in. Thank you very much. Very much appreciate that background, Jewel. And again, welcome to the show. Now it's time for us to find out a little creative information, a little personal background information on our three panelists. Tim Good, I know you're calling from Germany today. At least that's what my notes say. So I'd love to know what time is it? Because right now here on the East Coast in New York, it's 11.20 a.m. We are live on August 17, 2016. What time is it? And either what's in your cup right now if you're drinking something interesting, Tim Good, or what are you planning? to drink after the show. Go ahead, Tim. Let's find out a little about you. So it's about 20 past five, Bonnie, where I'm sitting here in Germany. So I'm getting towards the, uh, the back end of, uh, of my day um, here right now. Um, in terms of what's in my cup, I'm afraid it's not very exciting. It's actually just <laughs> a uh, sparkling water that I've got in front of me. But uh, I have to tell you that the um, air conditioning's broken down in the office that I'm in. Oh. And uh, I think in, uh, in U.S. terms, it's about 80 degrees Fahrenheit outside. So uh, I'm trying to keep hydrated here. 
Um, the good news is uh, when I uh, when I leave the office later on, I'm actually uh, meeting up with some family and uh, off to a barbecue. And uh, I can assure you that there will be another cold drink in my in my glass this evening, and it won't be water. I think it'll be more of an amber-looking type liquid. <laughs> and it does that amber-type lo- amber-looking type liquid have a name? Go ahead, be bold, Tim. What will you be drinking? I will be drinking a, a German Weizen beer or a German wheat beer. Very refreshing and very good on a Wednesday evening when the that sun is shining. Very, very good. And I, I have to break the news to you, Tim. We had real field temperatures here in New York over the weekend of 111 degrees Fahrenheit. Don't want to make it too uncomfortable. So 80 sounds like a cool winter evening to me right now. It was so hideously bad. Last night I took my mom, who's almost 100. We went out to dinner to celebrate my son and her grandson's birthday. He was, He's in, in Washington, D.C., working this week. And uh, we put a little, we had the waitress put a little candle in a tartufa, which is a an ice cream covered in, uh, yes, a ball of ice cream, chocolate and vanilla with a frozen cherry in the middle covered in, enrobed, as they say, in, in dark chocolate. And we sang happy birthday to my son. But there was the lightning show outside, Tim, 30 minutes of solid lightning lighting up the sky. I thought we were in the middle of a fireworks display. That's how heavy and humid the weather has been here in the Northeast. So you just enjoy your barbecue. 80 <laughs> degrees is nothing. It's, it's winter. Thank you very much, Tim. Dan Ward, are you at the beach today? Talk to me. What are you drinking or where are you? Uh, so I'm working out of my uh, my basement office here, and although it's pretty warm and hot and humid and muggy outside uh, here in the Boston area, uh, it's kind of chilly and cool down in the basement. So I'm drinking uh, uh, just a cup of coffee, and I prefer my coffee to be coffee-flavored coffee. No, <laughs> and nothing else in it. I just want it to be hot, black, uh, and taste like coffee and not a lot of sugar or vanilla or caramel or anything like that. And do you have a favorite brand we would like to know? Um, I uh, let's see, I tend to do uh, Chock Full of Nuts, actually. Gets a, I've started drinking that one because I got a pretty good review on Consumer Reports. and um, Yeah, I do enjoy that one. And I do have a favorite mug, though. It was a mug that was yes. made by an artisan out in um, uh, Yellow Springs, Ohio, where I was stationed uh, several years ago. And so, yeah, that... Uh, the mug is almost more important than the coffee in it. <laughs> I had another guest say that on a show yesterday. What's special about the mug? Does it have a special design or a saying or a color or a shape? Uh, it's just it's a, got a great feel to it. It's a nice texture. It's kind of got some ridges and, and um, uh, ridges that kind of run around the whole thing, and it's just a nice brown, earthy color, and just feels good in my hand. Nice. That's very nice to know. That's a, a texture comment, and I appreciate that. We Somebody was drinking coffee yesterday. It was Larry Stoley at SAP, our car guy on the show Future of Cars with Game Changers, and he was drinking from a Yeti mug, which is comp- completely opposite what you're holding in your hand. That's a, a very modern, very uh, no sweat, keep it hot, keep it cold. He said the coffee was so hot after two hours in that in that Yeti container, that Yeti mug, that it was just still burning him. So, so much for modern efficiency. Thank Thank you, George. Thank you, Dan Ward. Jewel Parkinson, where are you calling from today? And tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you drinking? I'm calling from Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, here at the headquarters of SAP North America, and I'm currently drinking a nice hot cup of lemon tea. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Is there a special brand you like? Is it a tea bag or any fresh brew with, with leaves? How would you do it? It's a tea bag, and uh, the brand that I enjoy the most is Yogi. Uh, and actually, the flavor I enjoy the most is chai, but I ran out of that earlier, so I defaulted to my second favorite, which is lemon. Yes. 
Yogi tea. I've never heard of that before, but I just looked it up. Yogi tea, green tea, detox tea, and specialty herbal teas. And you can find them at yogi, Y-O-G-I products.com. Very interesting. And yogi tea, Y-O-G-I-T-E-A dot com. Uh, and our teas at yogi tea.com. Oh my goodness, they're all over the place. What a pretty package too. Do you have any other flavors from Yogi that you would recommend to our listeners, Jewel? Uh, ginger is also very good. Oh, thank you very much. Good to hear that. And say hello to uh, to my friends in Newtown Square. I, I think my manager is probably not there today, but uh, you know Glenn Green? Yes, I've heard. I've met Glenn in passing, yes. Yep. Well, wave to Glenn and say Bonnie said hi, and she's still doing radio. I'm only teasing. We spoke yesterday. Thank you, Jewel. We have a, a very lively panel today, a very important topic, CHROs, Time for a New Conversation. This is part two of a discussion we started on June 9th on our other series, Changing the Game with HR Radio. It was so good and so interesting. I've invited Tim Good at Accenture and Dan Ward, our author for today, on back on today, and we're adding Jewel Parkinson at SAP to the panel and we're already off to a great start. So I'm going to give my panelists a chance to sip something interesting and take a pause that refreshes. And during that minute we're off the air, Tim Good and I will cook up where we're going to start the roundtable. We have lots of good information for you. Our topic today, again, CHRO's time for a new conversation. You really need to hear this. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here we go. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back, and we're talking about a very important conversation, and it is a conversation about a conversation. CHROs, it is time for a new conversation. What is your role in your company? What is your role as part of the business strategy, not just somebody who hires and fires and reports on that activity? And we have a lot of good information here to share with you. So we're going to start the roundtable with Tim Good, Managing Director in Accenture Strategy. Tim sent me the following very provocative statement in his notes before the show. So let me just read this, and then Tim will run with it. We'll get Dan Ward and Jewel Parkinson to chime in. Tim says, we need to stop talking in HR language and start talking in employee language. This means focusing on moments that matter. Sounds almost like a movie. Tim, good. 
Talk to us. Let's get started, please. Definitely. So what this is all about, we've, we've become very good, I think, as, as HR of becoming quite technical and speaking in our own terms. So we love to organize things and we love to talk about recruiting and payroll and performance management and learning and so on and so forth. But actually, when you talk to the employees that are in our organizations, it's very rare that they're actually using that terminology. What they're actually doing is they're talking about things that really matter to them. So they're perhaps saying, you know, I'm going to take a period of leave and um, I wonder how much leave I'm entitled to and uh, whether there's any special policy considerations I need to be aware of, or I perhaps have a big meeting coming up and I need some help with planning the logistics, or maybe I just simply need some access to to some support to be able to get the right tools to be able to do my job. And it's actually quite interesting when you start to reflect on this, I think that what starts to happen is that we start to treat employees like consumers in the same way as we consume goods, in the same way as we interact with marketing organizations. And when we actually start to think in those terms and that language, we actually change the way that we react and we start to become human again within the HR department. That word human just keeps surfacing. I don't know about that. We're going to have to see. No, I really appreciate the comment. Let's get Dan Ward in on this. Dan, you agree, disagree? What are your thoughts? Oh, I, I heartily agree. I found that jargon can be a big barrier to clarity. And if we're talking about having a real communication, it's important to speak the language that uh, the other members of this uh, conversation uh, actually speak. And so we can have all the best ideas in the world, but if we can't express them clearly, those ideas aren't going to be worth very much, and they're not going to spread or be, be understood or accepted by the people we're trying to share them with. So, any thoughts I want before we bring Jewel in on this? Thoughts on the, the, the depth or the breadth, if you will, on the five generational cohorts now in the workforce as far as what those moments that matter should be and, and how do you position that language? Dan, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think you, you certainly see that uh, every new generation has their own jargon, their own communication styles, uh, both in terms of the, the words they use and the medium they use, whether it's email or tweeting or phone calls or, or face-to-face conversations. And so understanding those differences, I think, will go a long way to making sure we have effective communication and effective conversations up and down the, the spectrum of, of those different generations. Thank you. Jewel Parkinson, love to get your thoughts on this. Agree, disagree, and, and what language do you think HR is currently talking? Is it the right one? Um, I, I think in circumstances it is, and I totally agree. I think whether you're in the boardroom, whether you're in the cafeteria, the relevance of engaging with people and being able to understand and talk their language and understand the various needs. I mean, we do have multiple generations in the workforce, and there are different areas of importance that as a HR department, you have to be able in uh, looking at how do you meet those needs. So on the one hand, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a personalized individual experience. But on the other hand, there's certain things that you really want to be in tune. You want to be in touch. You need to have your ear to the grindstone. And that involves working with individuals and understanding really what the needs are out there in the business uh, and the workforce in general. Thank you. And, Tim Good, I asked you a question of Dan and Jewel that I didn't really ask you. What's your thought on how this applies? What languages can CHROs use with all of these generations, with their different styles, their different learning speeds and textures, if you will, their different preferences? Uh, how does this impact what you said, talk in employee language? Which Whose employee language is it? How many do you have to learn to speak? 
I think the honest truth is you've actually got to learn to speak probably all five. And the other thing that you've got to do is you've got to ensure that you don't stereotype. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to just say that it's just young people that are using technology and using a lot of social platforms to communicate and uh, run their lives in work and outside of work. But increasingly, I think you look beyond that. And there's some wonderful stories out there of people right the way across the workforce from all generations who are actually embracing technology and embracing those channels. So I think what I would say is it's really about understanding your customers, if you like, and HR understanding its customers, and then finding the right channels to communicate with those people in. And one of the things I often have to do in my job is is work with clients from a whole range of different industries and what might be appropriate for communicating with your employees in a predominantly, let's say, white-collar organization might not work at all if you're working in the field or if you're doing work in very remote locations. So it really does need to have this customization and it does need to be tailored to those individuals. Thank you very much. I'm ready to move on to a new topic. Dan Ward, your uh, your notes here are, are almost poetic, very prosy poetic. And I'm just going to read one I think is interesting because we're talking about learning languages. I didn't use the term Tower of Babel or Babel yet in terms of having to learn all of those employee languages as we address how the CHRO should communicate with the workforce. But I'm going to read this third topic you sent me, Dan, have you translate this. Dan Ward says, every project hits a midpoint where things get bogged down, complicated, and messy. Rather than being surprised or caught off guard by this inevitable stage, keep an eye out for it and make a plan for what to do when it happens. Sounds like we're going back to Tim Good's quote from Leonard Bernstein, make a plan and have not quite enough time. So how does this relate to our topic today on this new conversation for CHROs. Dan Ward? Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of piggyback on Tim's quote earlier about constraints mm-hmm. and having not quite enough time. Uh, and to yeah. that I would add, um, have a slightly inadequate budget is too. That often helps. Uh, these, these constraints <laughs> help us come up with creative solutions uh, to the problems it. we're trying to solve. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to mention that before <laughs> I mm-hmm. lost track of it. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, there's a very common pattern in our in our projects, whether we're um, crafting a new position, like a CHRO for an organization, crafting a new uh, b- business process for onboarding or you know any of these other things that we might make, uh, we, we begin with great enthusiasm and have new ideas, and then at some point we hit this midpoint where things get bogged down, complicated, and messy, and it seems to almost always catch us off, off guard. We're always surprised. Like, we didn't know this was going to happen even though it happens every single time. So given that it's, it's going to happen where you're going to hit that midpoint where you lose your energy, where things just get sort of jumbled, plan for it. And maybe plan in a day to go to the beach. You know, hey, when this happens, that's the day I'm going to go, you know, off and find uh, some other ex- environment, some other um, place to sit and, and think new thoughts to kind of break free from this bogged down situation. But breaking free can be really difficult if we don't recognize what's happening and we just think, oh, I just got to keep slugging away. I got to keep chugging away and, and just keep doing what I was doing before. When in fact, what we need to do is, is something different, whether it's a different environment or a different approach, or even just, you know, going out to get a cup of coffee and, and have a chat with somebody. That's one of the ways we can kind of uh, break out of this, this bogged down midpoint. Pivot and regroup. I have a question for you before I toss this topic over the fence to Jewel and to Tim Good. 
Dan, let's talk about who is in the role of CHROs today. Are millennials ascending to that table at the seat at the C-suite yet? What will the millennial mindset do when they got bogged down? Were they the ones who are going to say, well, I don't even need to go to the beach. I've got my 15 uh, digital dis- uh, untethered devices here. I'm just going to go play words with friends or I'm going to do a little of whatever the newest uh, game is and I'm just going to regroup in my mind. I'm going to close my door, put a do not disturb virtual sign out on Facebook and I'm just going to go to that mental beach and I'm going to come back refreshed and say, wow, is there going to be a different style of this regrouping, this not being caught off guard by the different generations who are in the CHRO role? We haven't talked about that yet. We've been talking about workforce. Well, CHRO is part of that workforce. So, Dan, if you would expand to that, then I'd love to hear what Jewel and Tim have to say. Yeah, so that's a fascinating question, and you know, I thank think you for for some. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I think for for some people, going to that virtual reality beach you know, or whatever the equivalent is, uh, works with friends and, and that kind of thing, uh, is actually a great way. It's it's cheap, it's quick, it's effective. Um, but for those, especially like millennials, who seem to dwell in that environment, you know, ninety percent of their day, I think they're going to need uh, outside time. <laughs> literally going out, you know, and walking on a trail or walking on a beach, they're going to need that outside time even more than some of the uh, older cohorts uh, who are uh, perhaps less likely to be as digitally tied in as, as the millennials are. Ah, okay. It goes back to the, the new old style of writing handwritten letters. Thank you, notes. Yeah, we don't want <laughs> digital anymore. We want, Jewel, I hear you laughing. Jewel, talk to me. This is a topic that should probably really hit home with you. Who are these CHROs and what happens? What do they need for that pause that refreshes when they get into a complicated situation they need to rethink? Jewel? Well, I indeed think it is predictable that you get to that midpoint and uh, it is predicted that things will go awry. And I think irrespective of generation, having the clear commitment to the outcome that you're trying to achieve um, and really underscoring that and not letting, you know, that get detracted from as you get into those mid-pain mid points. Um, for a millennial generation leader, I think any leader, um, there's different ways of re-energizing. And I think given that diversity, that's where organizations have to um, really be accepting of what those ways are. I mean, we, we generate our creative juices differently, whether it's collaboration, whether it is going to the beach, whether it's reading a book, whether it's um, just reconvening the team and, and looking to revisit again what is the outcome we're trying to achieve, whether it's a focus on mindfulness, meditation, health, wellness. Um, so I think there's just such a variety out there, and individual leaders um, know their styles. They know what energizes them, what gets them recharged. And I think as leaders, you also have to individualize that situation with the team that you're leading um, because what works for one person may not work for the next person. Um, and so you're going to have that variety and diversity there as well. Thank you. I like energizing and refreshing. Very interesting. Tim Good, talk to us, please. Join us. Yeah, I was reflecting on it. And I think one of the interesting things, actually, especially for the uh, the millennial generation and perhaps some of the millennial generation that already find themselves in the C-suite or in the CHRO chair, and there are some uh, good examples of this, is that they're actually used to processing information in a much faster time frame than um, perhaps was traditionally the case. So whereas someone might traditionally get an annual report and read through the numbers and maybe think about it overnight for a couple of days and then go to a meeting, they're literally seeing information coming at them constantly on, on feeds from all angles. 
And I think that requires of the individuals a certain agility that they actually need to have to be able to make their jobs, um, or sorry, to actually make critical decisions. But also mm-hmm. they need to have a filtering mechanism to actually cut through all of the smog, all of, this, all of the smoke of the tweets and the news feeds and the emails that are coming in to actually get to the relevant facts and the relevant points that help them make a good decision. And I think reflecting on what Dan said, um, that makes actually building in rest time and downtime all the more important because there is a danger otherwise that you just end up in this complete constancy of information. And I think for all of us at some point, we have a duty to actually step back from that. And especially as leaders and people working with HR leaders, we have a duty to actually help them give people the confidence in their organizations to step back, to re-energize, because ultimately they then come back to work and make better decisions with more energy than they had than if they just constantly sat at their desk tweeting and thinking and doing. Ah, tweeting and thinking and doing. I like that. And I'm tweeting while I'm thinking and doing right now <laughs> here on the radio. And I, I'm seeing tweets from Dan, the Dan Ward. And I'm seeing tweets from Karen Geraldo. She goes by K-H-E-R-A-L-D-O 24. Hello, Karen. And I've got some tweets from Tim Good. And I'm tweeting what my panelists are saying because these are great words of wisdom. I'm going to circle back on uh, finishing this topic to Dan. You started it. And when you're done in about two minutes, I have some really interesting statements from Jewel Parkinson we're going to explore. So, Dan, you want to wrap up? this thread? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think Tim really hit the nail on the head when he talked about our, our obligation to take these, these breaks. I think there's a, a personal mental health aspect to it, uh, as well as a professional competence uh, aspect to it. And of course, those two are related. So it really loops back to uh, Feynman's opening quote about getting ideas at the beach uh, because he was refreshed, because he was in a different environment. It's this you know really beautiful, virtuous cycle of, of making... Um, creative connections by being in a, a different environment. But you don't even have to go very far. One of the things I do is I keep a set of juggling balls uh, on my desk. And when I need a break, I can just stand up and, and juggle for a minute or two. And the great thing about juggling is when you're doing it, you really can't think of anything else. You're, you're really totally concentrated on throwing and catching these balls. And you don't have to be a good juggler to get this benefit out of it. And uh, so I highly recommend juggling as a uh, a way to get those little micro breaks and, and mini breaks throughout the day. Uh, and it helps that it's something physical, too, so your, your body's actually moving. And uh, I found that, uh, that there's, there's benefit there as well. I like it. I would just recommend not having anything breakable in the near near vicinity <laughs> because I know I have a I I uh, produce and and host cable TV and I have a young man who's my current director and he he is in motion all the time. Not when he's sitting at the control board, but when we're setting up a show or getting the guests seated and mic'd, and he juggles. He juggles all the time. He brings a couple of little whatever he uses, and he just stands in the hall and juggles. He's just got to keep in motion, and it seems to relax him. So I think that's a great idea. Thank you, Dan, for that. We just got some recommendation on how to go to the beach without being at the beach. So now let's turn to Jewel Parkinson. Jewel, you've got so much interesting information here in the notes you sent me before the show. I want to read one and just let it sit, and then I want to go to a different one because that's where I'd like you to address. Number one, you say HR's partnership with the in- within the organization is more vital than ever before in the digital economy. I just want to let that sit and let people think about that. But the one I want to talk to you about, Jewel, is diversified work experiences will be key to attracting, engaging, and retaining 
talent and you expand it by saying people desire a plethora of unique opportunities to grow in advance. They want options. They want variety. They want frequency and ease of navigation. So, Jewel, why don't you take us through how this applies? Are we talking about just what the workday is like or the hiring process or the review process? How vast are these diversified work experiences that the CHRO should be creating or sponsoring? Talk to me. Well, and it's interesting, Bonnie, because in terms of the diversified experience, I was thinking more along the lines of um, when you hire someone, they get hired for a particular role, but you're also thinking forward about their career. They're assessing, can I grow my career here, or is this Mm -hmm. just a job? And so in thinking about that, it's almost as though we've become GPS career navigators. That's what we need to become. We have to offer different types of experiences where people can feel, even if they stay in the same role, they are able to develop, they're able to experience different things through different means where they're still growing, they're still moving, they're still progressing, they're still advancing. And the expectation from workers is clearly that they want that. They want opportunities to do different things and to grow at a faster pace and rate than perhaps uh, historically they've done. But there's also certain aspects that they want to be consistent. They want to be predictable. They want certain experiences to definitely be uh, more of like a franchise-like experience. So it really depends that diversification, that breadth of options that you can offer to help broaden people's skill sets, increase their value, that also align with, their, with what they find uh, as important all has to be there. So that's where I think the challenge becomes, the opportunity becomes for CHROs and building that GPS career navigator. Uh, but also thinking about what experiences need to be predictable, they need to be consistent, we don't want any surprises, and they need to deliver uh, with quality and with speed and agility and things of that nature as well. Thank you, Jewel. I want you to expand that a little before we get Tim and Dan in on this. We do have some time here. My question is, in a big organization, and I'm looking at some of your other comments here, you say soft skills, the forgotten art of human interaction is needed more than ever in a highly matrix world of work. I don't want to go into that. But my question is, Jewel, business is big. Processes have to happen. The machine has to keep spinning and working and spitting out whatever reports and whatever the CHRO needs to contribute to that bottom line. That's really what it's about. To stay in business, it needs to work like a well-oiled machine. When does the CHRO have the time, especially let's reference somebody who's been in the job 10 years, 15 years, when do they have the time to work on what you so beautifully termed the GPS for career navigation for the employees? When do they have the time? What training does the CHRO need to instigate, instill, create, develop, execute, implement, and offer, I hope I hit all the right verbs Mm -hmm. there, and offer these types of programs. That sounds to me like it's almost a job within a job that was never part of that job traditionally for the HR lead, which is what we're talking about today, this new conversation. Any light you can shed on that, Jewel? Well, I think it goes back to really the, the, the culture of the organization that you're in. Mm-hmm. So there usually is that foundation, those ties that bind. So there's certain attributes, there's certain behaviors that are very specific to an organization. And when you think about those behaviors and those values, really their values, the strategy is built on top of that. And so when you think about the various career experiences that you're trying to bring to bear, it really is intended to drive and advance the strategy, whether it's about workforce transformation, whether it's about 
about, you know, talent in general, attraction, development, retention, whatever that strategy is, going back to the roots of the organization, what the cultural norms are for that organization that ties that bind, that is really where you start to get the indicator of where you need to focus. And it's never done in isolation um, as a separate initiative or effort. It's rooted in a bigger purpose. It's rooted in those values and the mission and vision of the organization. And I think that's where you can get the prioritization. So it's not working on a lot of things. It's working on few things that have broad implications and can be accessed in different ways. So there is an element of creativity. Um, a big piece of it is actually listening, understanding. I put it the ear to the, the you know, the ear to the um, workforce, what's happening out there, what are the needs, um, and technology can be a piece of that. Business process is a piece of that, um, but certainly um, listening to your people, interacting with your people is really going to also help predict where you need to focus and what's right for your business. Thank you very much, Jewel. Great answer. Tim Good, love to get you in on this. I'm going to give you about a minute to respond and Dan as well, and then we're going to go back to Tim and start the crystal ball predictions round. So, Tim, good. What do you think about what Jewel just said? A lot of great information and insights there. Yeah, some fabulous stuff there. What, one of the things I think that's quite exciting about the time that we actually live in is that some of the stuff that traditionally took up time for us as a CHRO or as a senior HR leader um, is actually going to be automated in the future. So there is this great sort of thing coming or not even coming, it's here already, whereby some more of the administrative workload will disappear or has disappeared and will be automated. And I think that gives us a great opportunity to rethink the role and as part of rethinking the role, ensure that we build in the time to do those higher value add things that we really should be doing with the human contact, with the contact with employees. Thank you. There's that human word that, uh, yes, we are getting into the human side of CHRO, and I, I think that's what we really wanted to get to. Dan Ward, quick thoughts, one minute, please, what Jewel said and or what Tim added. Go ahead, Dan. Well, I think they both made some great points. And uh, in my experience, leadership is all about taking care of people. And if we talk about the CHRO as a leadership position, that's got to be the fundamental mission, uh, which is a shared mission for all types of leaders. And that comes down to setting priorities, both personal priorities and organizational priorities. Uh, and so the question of how do we make time to do all of these things that need to be done, you know, sometimes we make time to do them by not doing something else, by, by setting those priorities and saying, hey, this is more important than something else, and we're going to just not do some of these other things. Uh, unfortunately, as Tim pointed out, some of those things we used to spend time on are things we don't need to spend time on anymore. So I think there's a great opportunity for, for things to go well uh, in this particular situation. Thank you. Very, very well. We want things to go well, and I will say that was good. Okay, so uh, let's circle back to Tim Good. And Tim, you know the drill. It's part of our, our show is the end with crystal ball predictions. I still love the year 2020 because it's just coming at us so fast. It's almost in the future still. I'd love to know how far in the future would you like us to look from your vantage point at Accenture, Tim Good? What will be different about this topic if we met again? It could be 10 minutes from now, five years, 10 years, next Christmas, whatever it is. On this conversation, we are saying the CHRO needs to have. Tim Good, prediction 60 seconds. It's all yours. So I think we'll go with uh, we'll go with 2020 as a as a stake in the ground because I'm not sure I can even think any way beyond that. Um, but what I would say is I think that HR will have become a lot more human than we may not even be using the term HR anymore. 
but we may actually be talking deliberately in more specific terms and terms that really relate to people. I think the other thing that we'll have done is we'll have built a culture of trust. Um, I'd love to see a HR where we're focused more on outcomes rather than inputs. And I think that will be a HR where, you know, if you're sick, um, then there won't be a policy that says, you know, you have to come back to work after X number of days, but actually you'll have a HR department, you'll have a CHRO that says, come back when you're well, come back when you're ready to work again. So I think the future is bright, and I think the technology is going to make it very exciting for us as well. Thank you very much. And let's turn to 60 Seconds Predictions. Dan Ward, go ahead. So uh, simplicity is a topic I keep coming back to. So when I think about predictions about simplicity, I've noticed that we seem to have a cyclic relationship with simplicity where we swing between making things too complicated and then we make them too simple and then we go back again. And this happens on a micro scale when we're working on a small project. And we can see it on a macro scale as trends in art or architecture or, or literature. And this isn't necessarily good or bad. It's just the way we correct and then overcorrect the flaws of the previous generation or the, or the previous draft of whatever we're working on. So my prediction is that we will continue to go back and forth like this uh, indefinitely uh, with occasional pauses and plateaus at various levels of simplicity and complexity, followed by you know, swings to where things get more complicated and then less complicated. Thank you very much. I like that. More complicated than less complicated. We have a lot of time left. Jewel Parkinson, you're the newcomer. I'm going to give you, oh, about a minute and a half. I could even give you two minutes for predictions. Why don't you just outdo yourself, Jewel? Go ahead. Take your time. Well, you know, I agree with, with, with Tim and with Dan and what we all have been talking about. Um, I see there being the opportunity and need for more human interaction, more of a personalized touch, and I think the HR function, the CHRO role will be able to facilitate that. But the irony of it is, is I also would predict by 2020 that given the advances in things such as the Internet of Things and machine learning and virtual reality and uh, artificial intelligence, these aspects I think we will also see reemerge more in the HR space as we will look to leverage them to have more and more services um, be performed, frankly, in the world of virtual reality. Uh, and, I, and I see this happening in a way that doesn't eliminate the need for human touch, but it certainly needs to mimic human reality. And so I think I'm just curious to see how technology um, really also shifts in terms of the work um, that people do today and how we have to mimic that human experience and interaction. And I, don't, and I predict that technology will be able to increasingly mirror certain elements of human interaction, which we wouldn't even think about today. Thank you very much, Jewel. I, because we have a little bit of bonus time left, which never happens, I have a quick bonus question for my three panelists. I'm just going to toss this out, and we'll just go in order, Tim, and then Dan, and then Jewel. The question is, is the CHRO role in the C-suite something that you think more and more millennials will aspire to achieve in the next, let's say, millennials are 35 years old, the leading edge of the millennial cohort right now. In the next five years, do you think we're going to see more millennials say, that's what I want, that's a job I'm working toward, and I want to be part of this new conversation. Let's just take it with a yes or a no. Tim Good, yes or no in one sentence to explain. Tim Good at Accenture, talk to me. One minute. One answer and go. Yes, absolutely, because organizations are going to become more human. Oh, I like that. Okay, that's a predictable and quotable moment. Dan Ward, what do you think? Will we see more millennials aspiring to that C-suite as a CHRO? 
I would say yes, but only if organizations continue to become more human. <laughs> okay, Jewel, I'm not sure if you want to split this one in half, but Jewel Parkinson, from your vantage point as, as a leader in HR in a major organization in the world, what do you see, yes or no, and what do you think will make this happen or not? Uh, absolutely, Bonnie. It certainly will happen, and I think it is about the power of the people. And so individuals will aspire to lead organizations because the power does reside in people, and that's where also the humanity and the purpose of why you exist as a business trumps everything else. Thank you very much. Very, very good. I want to thank everyone. What an interesting panel. You all came to the table with so much good information and so prepared to have a conversation about the conversation. So thank you sincerely to Tim Good at Accenture, to Dan Ward, our author of the day, and Jewel Parkinson, Head of Human Resources, SAP North America. And let's see, that's our live show for today. Tomorrow we'll be on the air with a live episode of, let's see what we've got tomorrow afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern, and we'll be back with... um, Let's see. I'm trying to think. It's uh, Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers. Yeah, we're going to talk about more about SMEs, that's small to mid-sized organizations, another lively topic. So I thank you all for listening, and here's my call to action. Wherever you are, whatever you're driving, whatever you're walking, it's all the same. And a shout-out to Michael and Justin of the Business Channel team. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. <laughs>